Hey, you know what I believe? I believe that every single person can make a difference and that we all have something amazing to offer the world. I believe in standing up for what matters and in putting one foot in front of the other. I believe courage is way more important than confidence and I'm addicted to seeing people break through what they once thought they couldn't. And that's why I started this podcast. I want you to believe in yourself. I want you to know that anything's possible and I want you to find the courage to stand up and do your thing. Everything's waiting for you. You just have to believe it's possible. I'm Karen Vaughan. This is the Get Off The Bench podcast and here is where your courageous life starts. So today I have got the amazing Kate Parker with me on the line and what an incredible human being. Now when we're talking about fear, I always say, you know, you need to push through fear to do things well. Kate is the absolute epitome of pushing through fear and her story, it sends shivers down my spine. I can tell you what, I think that I'm tough. I think that I'm going to go ahead and do all these things. But when I hear what Kate's done, I kind of cringe and think, Jesus, Karen, you need to get some balls. But anyway, let's get on to it. Have a listen to Kate. Her story is absolutely fascinating. So hey, Kate, how are you going? I'm very well, thank you, Karen. A very generous introduction. Thank you so much. It's a true introduction, a genuine one. It's uh, you're amazing. It's, um, I was just thinking, you know, it's for years I've followed Sea Shepherd, and we're going to talk about Sea Shepherd because that's, uh, you know, that's what is so amazing about you, uh, along with a hundred other things, of course. But uh, you know, I, I always realised the seriousness of what Sea Shepherd were doing, but I had never. Uh, I, I'd never stopped to think about the uh, the enormity of the dangers and and the fear. And I often say to people, you know, push through fear, but my God. So we're going to talk about uh, your journey with Sea Shepherd. It's an incredible one. So tell us how you got started. Tell us about Kate. Tell us about, you know, where or everything that led to your journey with Sea Shepherd and how you got into it. Yeah, okay. Well, um, yeah, so originally from the UK, um, I grew up in uh, the hilly north of England, uh, about as far away from the ocean as you could get. And I think that's what kind of made me initially so fascinated with this ocean world that I got to see sometimes when we went on holidays and um, to visit friends. And I remember spending hours on the beaches in the UK and cold and the rain and the fog and still like fascinated with all the animals in the rock pools and things like that. Um, and I, yeah, was always interested in the ocean, but I think when I got a bit older and started traveling, I learned to dive uh, in Colombia in 2011. And that's when I really started to become interested in all the animals and the, cre- and the creatures in the ocean and how delicate the ecosystems are and how important it is to protect them. And, and as I started traveling and diving more, I was moving more in those um, sort of marine conservation circles through the diving that I was doing. Yeah. So it's becoming, I guess, more aware of, of how important our oceans are and, and um, yeah, the, the necessity to protect them. Mm. Um, and then eventually moved to Melbourne in 2014. And it was just by accident, actually, ended up going to the screening of a documentary uh, with a few friends down at Sea Shepherd in Williamstown. And I'd heard of them, but I didn't really know too much about um, what they did onshore. I thought it was just the work they did at, on the boats. And yeah, so I met some Sea Shepherd volunteers who did work onshore and they invited me to come and, and join them and do some voluntary work fundraising for the organization. So it was kind of coincidental how I ended up joining joining Sea Shepherd in the first place, but immediately started learning so much more about 
really not only um, how how delicate our ecosystems are, but the amount of damage that's coming from the human impact on the oceans and how important it is to speak up and to go and, and take action to defend them. So mm. joined Sea Shepherd in 2015, um, worked for a long time raising money and volunteering uh, for the organization and then eventually uh, took the decision to join the cruise and then sailed off on the ships and I've done a few campaigns since with Sea Shepherd. Wow. So what, what year did you head off on the ships? Uh, it was 2016. I took uh, the I went on the Steve Irwin down to Antarctica. Wow! Um, that was my first campaign, um, and then I've sort of taken time out of my employed work every year to go back and do a few months on board Sea Shepherd vessels. So I've, I've managed to negotiate a situation with my work, who've been incredibly supportive, to allow me to go away and and join the ships pretty much every year. So I'm very, very lucky in that respect. Mm, that's fantastic. And people are going to be wondering, what is your normal job? <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a speech pathologist. So I've been working in mainstream education, supporting children with communication difficulties for the last 15 years or so. Um, so that's my full-time employed job and then part-time sailor. <laughs> wow. That's, so that's the two worlds apart completely, yeah. you know. It's, um, yeah, and what made you come to Melbourne? Why did you head over here? Um, I had travelled through Australia a few years before and I always really liked Melbourne. But honestly, the main reason I came to Australia as opposed to anywhere else is just because I could get work with my speech pathology degree. Um, I knew that I'd be able to get a, a visa over here and um, yeah, and just Melbourne was a, a cool spot. I had no idea how good the diving was until I got here, but I'm very glad that I picked Melbourne. Mm. Yeah. And, you, and you haven't left, so we must be okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, when you talk, it's funny because, you know, we, when we do things throughout our life, we don't realise how the things we did in the past are actually leading us to the future. You know, Absolutely. and so when you're talking about, you know, living in north of England, so far away from the beach, but it was all those trips that, that thank, thank God your parents took you to the beach, to, yeah. you know, and, and then, yeah. and that you, and it was probably lucky that you didn't take the beach for granted, you know, that you, you, yeah. you found it fascinating and, and then you did your diving and it just so happened that then you met people who, yeah. who are from Sea Shepherd, you know, so you can see yeah. when you look back at all these little things that happened that just join the dots, join the dots. and, and quite often, quite often we're um, ignoring or we're taking for granted or we're not giving enough credit to the things that are currently happening. You know, we think that they're not, um, well, sometimes we think they're not serving anything and sometimes those things are going against us or seemingly, but they always end up, you know, being part of the bigger picture down track. So, hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny when you look back and you suddenly think that thing that you were doing that just seemed arbitrary, it was actually a huge catalyst to get to you where you are now. It's always absolutely. Yeah. It's amazing. And we should do it more often. I don't mean yeah. we should dwell on the past, but we should, we should be thankful more often to say, wow, you know, if I hadn't done that, that wouldn't have happened. I, I look back at my own life and I think of the thousands of decisions you know that have led to this and that and I often sit there and think I wonder what where I would have been if I had of blah 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 not not that we can change anything but I, I'm often curious about that type of thing but anyway let's not talk about the past because god forbid we've got some stories there all of us but uh talking about I'll go back to the past a little bit but your uh first trip to Antarctica so yeah tell us more about that you what were you what were you defending? Who were you defending? Who were you fighting against? Who were you hoping? What what outcomes were you looking for? 
Yeah, well, so the Southern Ocean campaigns are probably what Sea Chef is most famous for in Australia um, and also very famous through Whale Wars, which is a documentary series from Animal Planet that recorded some of those early uh, trips to Antarctica, uh, where the goal basically is to try and oppose the Japanese from whaling illegally down in the Southern Oceans. Yeah. And so I was extremely lucky to, to jump on that campaign um, and join the crew of the Steve Irwin, which is um, a vessel that's uh, now permanently docked in Williamstown. And also another ship, we took the Ocean Warrior, which um, is one of our newest vessels, super high tech. Um, so we had the two ships that went down there and the goal was essentially to locate the Japanese whaling fleet and to try and do everything that we could in our power and within the law to stop them from catching those whales. Mm. It's it, Tell us a bit about that because I don't, it's, it's funny because a lot of people don't really understand the international laws of the waters and, you know, and, and how people shouldn't be here and shouldn't be there and because we've got this kind of thing that if a lot of us have just been out, you know, and I've done it and I now hate fishing, absolutely hate it, but I yeah. used to love it, you know, before I really understood the impact and really understood that fish have feelings and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. But um, I used to love and I still love the aesthetics of fishing, you know, so I, I'll often I'll often <laughs> throw a line in the river with just a sinker on it and sit there and cook a billy tea <laughs> just because you know the the relaxation of it that's but, sustainable i'm okay with that <laughs> yeah it's real it's nice you know and you of course you're never going to catch anything and never harm anything but i think that we we're often when we fish and when we when we do sort of recreational sports in the water i think what we do is we go out and we just kind of think that the water's not really land it's just there to use it's just there for everybody and it's no boundaries but there actually are boundaries and there are actually laws you know that that are related to the water so why shouldn't the well apart from moral reasons and don't get me started on that but why shouldn't the Japanese have been in Antarctica waters whaling well I mean it has it has been ruled illegal, um, you know, and I think the thing is that, like you were saying, with everybody's kind of idea about fishing and it's just a bunch of people with lines and rods and it's all kind of, it's in the same way as we imagine farming to be, you know, Farmer Giles on his tractor and a couple of happy smiling pigs and cows. But the reality of the industry at that level is um, so much more intense and so mm. much um, uh, more destructive. I think there was a really good quote in Cowspiracy where somebody was talking about um, if you um, if you wanted to catch like a type of deer on the plains in Africa and you just took a massive net and dragged it through the savannah and you scooped up all the giraffe and all the rhinos and all the elephants, you know, there'd be massive outcry. But that kind of that kind of uh, farming, if you will, is happening in the oceans with a lot of the ocean practices mm. where all kinds of animals are getting caught um, and discarded as bycatch. And that's, um, you know, that's that's what's so damaging. But it, because it's out of sight and out of mind, people don't really know. And that's that's not what's happening with the whaling. The whaling is much more targeted, um, but they it is an illegal practice. It's been ruled illegal. And uh because of that same idea that out of sight, out of mind, people just don't know that they're, they will, you know, chase these whales for, for days and days until they're absolutely exhausted and shoot them with um, harpoons that explode inside them and that the whales are caught on the end of these harpoons, slowly dying in agony for, for a really long time. It's mm. extremely 
um, macabre and just completely unnecessary. Um, I think the reasons why they argue that whaling should continue are just redundant in this modern mm. world we live in. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it was it was horrible having to witness that. And when we did find the whaling fleet, they were actually inside Australian um, marine park area. So it was not only an illegal mission to go whaling, but also caught inside Australian marine sanctuary area. So, hmm. um, so Sea Shepherd's goal is to sort of uh, chase them out, to drive them away from the whales or to interrupt yeah, what they're yeah, doing? Yeah, to interrupt and... as best that we can. So one of the things that we will do is um, when, uh, when the... So there's a, a factory vessel called the Nishin Maru, and um, that one literally has a, a processing factory inside for for the whales, mm. um, which, you know, historically they've often tried to say that they were doing research. Yeah. Um, but obviously we know that that is really just for farming um, and processing the whale meat that's caught. So that's a very large vessel um, and quite a, sl- a much slower vessel. And then they have the three Yushin Marus, which are the harpoon vessels that sort of fan out and will go and chase the whales. And once they have harpooned a whale, they'll bring it back to that factory vessel. So one of the tactics we might use is trying to put our vessel in the way between those two ships so that they're unable to pass one whale over to the factory vessel. Yeah. And in that respect, um, it, the, the the longer that they have that whale on the harpoon, the less time they're able to to catch whales. Yeah. Um, other tactics that have been used in the past would be um, they take a refueling vessel. Um, it's also illegal to refuel down there, but they'll take the refueling vessel and try and, and give their ships more extra fuel from the refueling vessel. Yeah. So we might maneuver our ship in between those two vessels so that they're unable to refuel um, down in the Southern Oceans. And that's been successful in the past and resulted in the whaling fleet having to leave because I think our vessel was there for about three days straight and just the captains refused to move out the way um, until they got the message that um, we weren't leaving. And so th- there was no point in continuing with the, the hunt that year. Um, on our year, we, we managed to chase them a really long way. So as, as long as we're chasing them and they're unable to catch whales, that's another tactic. So anything that we can do to try and try and reduce uh, or try and stop the number of whales caught really yeah and and reduce is more realistic but that's a shame yeah. because it yeah. um, would be great to stop it so is their their whaling season it's it is actually only a season isn't it so if you can it's, hold them up for yeah that yeah time. yeah yeah so when the whales so it's our summertime when the whales go down to the southern ocean so yeah. yeah and then they move back up so yeah, it's just a, a case of trying to locate them as quickly as possible and trying to interfere in any way that we can mm, to, to reduce. Sadly, they'll be still chasing uh, whales in other parts of other oceans, you know, all year round. Absolutely, which is a shame. And it's such a shame because, and I know what you're saying before they they sort of do it under the guise of research, which is mm. which is not true. And they've got bloody research written all over their boats. Do you, you know? Yeah. And it's just to that's just a help the media you know move on to their side but it's not true and the other thing is that they're gathering all this whale meat and a lot of people don't know this you know traditionally the Japanese you know consumed a lot of whale meat but they're not consuming the same amount anymore you know but they're still continuing with these outdated um traditions and yeah it's just such a bloody shame and it's japan's not the only place and i'm not bagging all japanese that is definitely not what i'm doing because there's a lot of japanese who are uh 
really, really strongly protesting, you know, mm-hmm. the, this and it's sort of this older, outdated, you know, tradition. But the younger ones, most of the younger ones are not, not going down that way, down that path. And there's also, you know, Taiji, which... Um, Sea Shepherd has a big role in too, you know. Absolutely. I was just going to say, you know, you watch documentaries like The Cove and they show how actually a lot of the time people don't even know that these things are happening. It's it's something that as a minority are pushing that agenda for for whatever reasons, whether it comes from some money or um, a different belief around culture or history. But um, yeah, often younger generation don't know that, you know, for example, all those dolphins are getting slaughtered in the cove in in Taji and Japan mm. or that often it ends up in burgers that we feed to children in Japan you know there's there's lots of things that happen that people don't necessarily know about even within the country where it's coming from that, that's true and we often we, we can be very quick to be racist we can very quick to say oh those yeah. you know those this from this country do this and those from this country do that but but often these outdated practices are only exactly what you say by a small minority and the rest of the rest of the country doesn't agree with them and when you just go back to taiji just for a minute because i think that people should know this um it's it's very very brutal and i don't want to get into too too much graphical stuff but uh they you know round the dolphins up and they butcher them i'm not even going to say slaughter they butcher them and what they do is they you know uh I guess, filter out any that are going to be okay to be used in animal parks, you know, in aquariums and all these uh, uh, SeaWorld type fun parks. And and if anyone, you know, I I think that there's a lot of people that, because I'm constantly on Facebook, you know, bagging the crap out of all that sort of stuff. and, And I think that, and I don't use gentle language, but the, you know, there are some people still who don't actually realize where these dolphins come from and i think that ignorance is bliss in a lot of a, in a lot of times but i also have this belief that once you know you shouldn't bloody do it so absolutely don't if you're going to places like that and you're watching a, a dolphins entertaining you those dolphins have been separated from their families and and dolphins have an extraordinary um family group you know and they're very emotionally intelligent and emotionally tied and and they're being tortured and separated and just so that people can watch ridiculous bloody tricks and that you know Okay, I've gone off on a little rant, but that really pisses me off. Do you, you know, so hundred percent support everything that you've just said. I think um, you know that's one of the easiest things to do is absolutely boycott. And you know, I think there's a there's a big anti boycott, uh, sorry, anti Sea World movement. Um, but I think we need to remember that there's also these dolphinariums that are not Sea World, but that are even worse all over the place yeah. and all of these swim with the dolphins experiences and all of really like look into that look at where you know they they list themselves as environmental or you know that these are wild dolphins that just love to interact with humans like be very very careful and definitely watch things like the cove and blackfish and know that the 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 if you like people will say the lucky ones uh, get to keep their life and go to uh, sea will but for sure it's just a, a prison trapped with a whole bunch of people that they don't want to be with or dolphins they don't want to be with and uh, it's horrific and the unlucky ones just um get butchered in the in the shallow waters yeah so you know it's really important to know uh the backstory to a lot of any any 
animals that you see performing or in mm. any form of captivity, even under the guise of environmental, like the elephant rides in Thailand, yeah. really do your research and, and find out what actually has happened previously, because a lot, a lot of those places are not what they seem. No, and you've only got to, if you're speaking of elephants, you've only got to Google, um, how do we make elephant elephants submissive for rides and and you will not you will not like what you see so i think that you know ignorance we've got to sort of move past that and we've got to stop uh saying yeah but everyone does it you know oh that's what we've always done well you know some uh, what about stoning women to death in absolutely yeah just because it's something we've done in the past doesn't mean that we can still do it Exactly. Yeah. So, so anyway, we've had a bit of a rant there, and I tell you, yeah, what, we, we both share that because it's it's <laughs> it's just not good, you know. And I think that we've got to look more towards a compassionate world. We've got to start caring not just about humans, but about animals, and also about the planet if we're yeah. going to um, make big changes in this world, you know. So, but uh, let's let's go back to your when you uh, you know you're talking about putting your boats in between. The other boats, now, it wasn't that long ago that it might have been two or three years ago where there was a big clash. Actually, it might have been more than that, but there was a big clash between a Sea Shepherd boat and a Japanese boat, and the Japanese boat actually attacked, you know, uh, rammed. And, yeah, so tell us about that. Like, Yeah, we've been rammed um, quite a few times, actually. Um, You know, we we will use our vessels defensively, but we are a non-aggressive organisation. Um, the, the direct action that we will do is things like putting our ships um, in potentially dangerous situations to prevent um, situ- situations like the whaling continuing. But yeah, we've been rammed by other vessels. Um, we've had all kinds of things thrown at us. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's a pretty big battle that happens that people don't mm. often see. And more recently, um, in the Gulf of California and Mexico, you know, our ships are getting shot at by the poachers there so that's really um quite dangerous situations for the crews and you Um, you were on one of those ships i believe just recently just recently yeah so um that's a a different campaign where we are trying to save uh it's actually the world's most endangered uh, marine mammal at the moment it's a porpoise called the vaquita and we're not entirely sure how many are left in the world the scientists who did a survey last year reckon between six and maximum 19 left wow and we yeah we are trying to save that animal from going extinct so the reason that it's going extinct is because unfortunately it lives in an area um yeah in the northern part of the gulf of california in mexico where there's a fish which is about the same size as the porpoise and the fish is called the totoaba. And for some reason, its swim bladder uh, is worth a lot of money on the Chinese black market. Um, I think historically they would make it into soups similar to shark fin um, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. And it was believed to have certain health benefits, which I don't think there's any science behind. Mm-hmm. Um, but these days now it's actually worth so much. They call it aquatic cocaine is worth more than cocaine and people will just dry it out and frame it and put it on the wall and it's like a, a, oh. a sort of status symbol um so these poor fish are getting butchered for their swim bladders not even the meat um and the way that the poachers catch that fish is using a, a, a net that has a very large space in it it's called a gill net and it catches the large head of that fish in it 
but unfortunately the collateral damage is the vaquita that also gets caught in the net because it's about the same size and now we're seeing we're seeing massive decline of that total web of fish but of course we're extremely concerned about the vaquita porpoise um, and so it's kind of a, a race to try and get those nets out of the water as fast as possible and meanwhile the poachers who are obviously cartel related to connected with the Chinese mafia. That's the flow into China. Mm. Um, they are over the years have become more confident uh, in coming out. I think in the first time I went over there was 2017 in Milagro three and we rarely saw poachers. They would only come out at night and we would use uh, drones and night vision to find where they put their nets. And it's evolved to the point now where um, they're, they're shooting at our vessels. They're coming out during the day. Um, they will routinely attack our ships by throwing things at us, driving their boats underneath our um, bow at great speed, um, throwing lead weights at us. We've had Molotov cocktails thrown at us. So yeah, it's pretty intense, the situation that's happening or was mm. happening in Mexico earlier this year, yeah. That's pretty stupid, isn't it? Like driving mm. their boats in front of your bow. I mean, uh, yeah. kamikaze, it's a little bit yeah. ridiculous, but anyway. Yeah, yeah and it's and I saw pictures of it, you know, that the, all all of these poachers in all their boats just sort of gathered and then started shooting at you. Yeah, so, we, can, so, we can get about, you know, 20 or 30 at a time. And, and their little boats are just kind of single hull um, with a little motor out the back, a little outboard, um, but they're pretty fast, mm. um, but they're a lot smaller than ours. But when they come out in mass, um, mm. you know, 20 or 30 of them at a time and surround us, it can be pretty, um, yeah, it can be pretty, pretty intense for the crews. And again, we only act defensively. We do have the support of the Mexican Navy. We have um, federal police on board and Navy on board who are armed. Um, which is unfortunate that it's had to get to that point. Mm. But obviously, since um, we had our vessels shot at, we also have the support of the government who've provided us the protection. But we don't want to get to the point of having to obviously use our guards in that way. But we do have military presence on board. Um, as the campaigns evolved over the years, it's become an unfortunate part of the work that we're doing. But that's fantastic, though, that they're there supporting you because for a long time, Sea Shepherd has been and still is on, on you know, here and there, seen as pirates, do, you know, and seen Absolutely. as um, we're yeah. not going to support you, you you're out dangering lives, you you know, this and yeah. that. And that Sea Shepherd has had a bad name in, with a lot of those big organisations, which is absolutely not true. You know, it's all it is is those big organisations protecting their, you know, protecting their economy and protecting, um, it's not even their economy, it's their dirty economy. But... <laughs> But no, I think you're, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think that's one of the great things about Sea Shepherd is how it's kind of evolved over the years. You know, it started out with Watson. Um, he was a founder member of, of Greenpeace and he broke away because he wanted to do more direct action. And it just started out with him and a couple of mates on a boat going out and opposing various things around the world. Um, and as it's evolved and it's grown, you know, it's you know, Watson will talk about it. it's, it's a movement, it's a international, yeah. we've got so many more vessels now. And, and the work that we're doing is much more um, working alongside governments to support them to enforce their own laws. Yeah. So it's great to see the support from the Mexican government who are actually asking us to be in that area and help them defend um, that animal. The same's happening off the coast of Africa, where there are 
various people who um, you know are employed to defend their their oceans but don't necessarily have the vessels or the manpower to do that and so Sea Shepherd can work alongside those government officials and provide them yeah crews and ships to to go out and enable them to do their work rather than Sea Shepherd stepping in and um, sort of working a bit more independently so yeah it's, mm. I think it's a really great way that the organization is evolving and I think there's going to be a lot more of that to come and I'd like to you to see more partnerships with um, local countries and governments and and show how much they they actually do care and want to do this work themselves yeah. um, and and we can just sort of support and consult and um, get those partnerships going yeah it's great oh I think it's fantastic <laughs> I think it's fantastic it's um and uh, I, I I want to move on to the Vaquita I want to move on to you what something yeah. you just did recently I mean we're still in the Vaquita but one thing <laughs> I, I just have to say this because it's kind of in my mind and I can't get rid of it it's just I love that there are so many um bigger sort of celebrity people or you know well-known people or influential people that support Sea Shepherd and one in particular that I'm thinking about uh Sam Simon who yeah. who bought a Japanese research vessel That's from right. them and then yeah. and then gave it to Sea Shepherd now when you see things like that I love that stuff yeah. you know because they're yeah so I, mean, I think it's fantastic. We definitely, we have a lot of um, fairly big people who support us. Martin Sheen as well, he bought us a boat. Yeah. Um, we have quite a few people um, who who do, but like people in the public eye. Another big one, Leonardo DiCaprio, he's doing amazing stuff with his fame to push an environmental agenda. Um, you know, there's, there's lots of celebrity support as well. And you're right, it's mm. fantastic because it just gives that extra level of exposure to our organization and um, and obviously we get a lot of donations as well, a lot of um, hardcore bands who support us and invite us to go on tour with them so we can sell our merchandise alongside theirs. It's That's absolutely true. overwhelming, the support, and it's, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's really lovely to see. Pamela Anderson as well. She's actually on yeah. our, our board um, as one of our directors. You know, there's so many great celebrities out there who are um, using their fame in, in, I think, probably the best way that they can is to to push that environmental agenda. Yeah. No, I think it's wonderful. When you said Martin Sheen, I, I just, that, I had to think about that. I'm watching a series at the moment <laughs> on Netflix, you know, because we're all sort of yeah. stuck at home. Uh, Grace and Frankie. And he's, right. he plays one of the roles and it's, I just, I just can't imagine it. He must be a very good yeah. actor. So, yeah. So anyway, <laughs> that's fantastic. Now back to the Vaquita. Um, I can't, it's, it's like, you know, whatever you said, six to 19 or something in the whole world. And that that's, is. That's what they think. Yeah. It's uh, we did a, a research project last year. Um, and the problem with the Vaquita is that um, as an animal, it's extremely shy um and so it's very difficult you don't really ever see them it's extremely nervous if you're out and about on a boat and there's boat engine noise they won't be there so it was really you know hard to try and spot them and id them and i think they use um sound uh, underwater gauges so they can hear them um but yeah they're uh there was unfortunately there was a, a project that was suggested um called the Vaquita CPR. And if you watch a documentary called Sea of Shadows that came out all about this particular campaign, um, it goes into more detail, but um, there was a suggestion that maybe we could take a Vaquita and try and breed in captivity uh, to get that um, species going again, because people do quite often ask that question, why do we not just put them in captivity? Mm. However, we knew that um, the animal was extremely nervous, extremely scared of human interaction. And I think Paul Watson at the time was quite strongly saying, please don't do this. 
Um, but unfortunately, they went ahead and they took uh, Vikita, female Vikita, into captivity. And I think she died within a few hours mm. because of stress. stress um, yep. it was, it's, I don't know if you've seen that film, but it's extremely distressing to watch um, that animal go through through that level of stress. So we can't um, just breed them in captivity. And um, we really, the only way that we can ensure that the animal is going to survive is by removing those nets um, from the mm. area. So that's what we're, we're trying to do, yeah. So despite having accurate numbers, it's undeniable that mm. the, the numbers have absolutely plummeted over the last oh, few years. It's undeniable. Absolutely, so. yeah. yeah. Yeah, because yeah, even when I first went out there, they reckoned, I think it was between 30 and 50, um, and that was only a couple of years ago. So it's dropped off mm. uh, very, very quickly. And people people probably saying, oh, 30 to 50, oh, it's only dropped down 30, oh, what's the big deal? But it, once, and I think we very much underestimate when an animal or a species becomes extinct, it, mm-hmm. it absolutely upsets the ecosystem. So even if you don't yeah. care about that particular animal, you know, who cares? It's just a yeah. porpoise. We've got tons of other porpoises. It's not, that's not how it works. You know, every single, yeah. every single species plays its role. And, you know, I read this uh, great story about the wolves in it might have been Yellowstone National Park. Please don't quote me on this, but they they shot all the wolves, and you know then it, it became a drought, and the river stopped flowing, and you know and all these weeds came, and then somebody said, and I really can't recall the exact story, so I could be a little wrong, but somebody is this feral? Are you reading? Did you read feral? I don't know where I I just saw a little documentary on it and I really can't remember the details but what I do recall I don't recall who said bring them back but somebody did say bring the wolves back in and everyone was saying no we're not going to bring the wolves back in we got rid of them but somehow they agreed to do it they put the wolves back into this place and within a couple of years the rivers started flowing again all the species came back and that's right we just don't it's because it, it was because of the deer so, because I, I read that in George, Mo- do you know George, I don't know how to say his name, Monbiot or Monibot, I don't know, he's an yeah. English um, environmentalist, he wrote a book called Feral, which is amazing, and they talk about that, and it was because they, yeah, they took all the, the wolves out, but the wolves kept the deer population down, but the deer, um, they, like, um, when they were, uh, the population was higher, they were kind of nibbling all the grass and all the shoots and the leaves of all the smaller plants and things. Um, and when they brought the wolves back, the deer population went down, which meant all of those vegetation around the, the riverbank could grow again, which meant insects were there, which meant things like frogs and um, other animals, smaller animals, rabbits and things came back. And the whole ecosystem sprang back to life again because... Yeah the balance was back. So yeah, absolutely. It is, it is just one porpoise, but I think, you know, bigger picture, like it's, I think I read a statistic that was quite alarming around the number of animals that are going extinct every day. And I think including the uh, plants as well as uh, animal kingdom, it's something like 250 species a day. It's it's a crazy amount of Mm. things that we're losing. And this is, this is an animal that we can see quite plainly. This is not um, because of incidental habitat destruction. Mm. This is human interference for greed, for no purpose other than social status. And this is something that we can tangibly do something about. And if if this animal goes extinct in, in the face of all of these things that we've put in place, I mean, what does that say about us as a race that we can cause the end of an entire species that will never exist again, oh. even though we have the capacity to do something about it? Like it's just, 
you know, it's it's way beyond the Vikita. The Vikita is kind of the 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 face of what's happening all the time, all around the world, with so many other species that yeah. perhaps aren't quite as pretty as the Vikita. She's a very cute little animal. <laughs> She's a good poster poster girl, but um, you know, this is happening everywhere, and it's just it's totally it's it's not for the survival of our species for for any reason mm. other than just greed and wealth and status, and it's it's really sad. It's it's um. Everywhere, and it's when you talk about you know the how many species of and anything are becoming extinct, you know, every single day. Uh, what we do is we say, well, we can turn on the TV, we've got electricity, we can turn on our taps, we've got water, we can, mm. you know, we can drive our car, we've got petrol, and we 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 can be very very shallow and narrow where it comes to you know the extinction. But we we don't we take nature for granted we don't give it enough credit you know and eventually Absolutely. eventually the more we rape and pillage nature and animals which i include in the same bracket in this context it's we are destroying ourselves and we are ruining the world and i don't think people realize how close we are to completely screwing the world up you know because yeah. of our behavior but the good news is it can be turned around you know and, and yeah. the actions of Sea Shepherd and, and other organizations and other people and the daily actions that individuals can take really can make a difference so anyway I can get on a big rant about that but I want to talk <laughs> about you did a walk um, across a part of America for yeah. raising money and awareness for the Vaquita so uh, right. or for Sea Shepherd but tell us tell us a bit more about that because that in itself was a I don't know something that it takes a fair bit of courage to do so do tell us oh, about that <laughs> courage or stupidity I'm not really <laughs> sure um yeah so I I decided to walk uh, it was 400 kilometers um in 20 days so we did 20 k's a day for 20 days straight so it was myself and um, another sea shepherd crew member a gorgeous girl called asha from poland and we had met um actually on a different campaign the year before on one of our vessels the white holly um and we had sailed to to the cocos island in costa rica and did a big um sort of cleanup we took about 40 tons worth of um discarded fishing equipment from the island which is wow. now being repurposed into swimming costumes and all those kind of things so um but anyway wow. we met on board that ship and uh we actually watched i don't know if you've seen that film wild with reese witherspoon no. um but she <laughs> it's based on a true story and she walks the pacific crest trail which is um a path that goes all the way from canada down the west coast of america to mexico and we watched it on board that campaign and for some reason we decided we wanted to do it <laughs> <laughs> it's very beautiful it takes about six months um but we didn't have six months spare. We only had a few weeks. So we thought we'd just do the last little bit. And we decided that we'd do it as a fundraiser for, for Sea Shepherd and for that campaign to save the Fakita, which is called Operation Milagro. So we did, uh, it was 400 kilometers. And we started uh, in the middle of California and we walked down to the border of Mexico and we did it in 20 days. So it was 20 kilometers wow. a day for 20 days straight. Yeah. And and you raised awareness as well. We like for the- we raised awareness, so we did it as a Facebook fundraising um, thing, and uh, was absolutely overwhelmed with how far that spread, and all the Sea Shepherd groups in America were sharing it, um, and it got lots of 
lots of people commenting on it and lots of people finding out about the campaign, which was amazing. Mm. Um, but then we also managed to raise, I think it was like 6,800 Australian, um, which we donated directly towards uh, keeping our ships at sea, keeping our crews fed, filling our ships with fuel so we can keep doing the work that we were doing in Mexico. So yeah, we were overwhelmed with the response and of course everyone we met along the way was were asking us why we were doing this and and we got to do some really direct outreach um to everyone that we met so yeah it was a, an amazing awful terrible terribly tiring <laughs> but brilliant experience and very uncomfortable i'm sure i bet <laughs> yeah well we yeah we carried we carried everything on our backs so we were camping on the trails so we had all of our camping gear but we also um everybody who i mean it's a very popular trail that people do but not in january because it's winter and we didn't have any other time to do it so we were like surely it can't be that bad <laughs> But then, um, yeah, like nearly died on day one <laughs> because of the snow. Um, I had like frostbite in my legs. Oh. It was um, an absolute nightmare. But uh, we, we managed to get through it. But the biggest problem was that the, one of the reasons you shouldn't do it in winter is because the snow on the mountains keeps the water still solid. And later on in the year, when it starts to melt, that becomes the streams that you can fill your water bottles from oh. so i had meticulously planned every single stop along the way to access streams um so that we could get fresh water we had our live straws so we could drink the fresh yeah. water but we got there all the streams were still dry so we ended up having to carry like a whole bunch more water every day than we were expecting because we went into the desert for a few days and we had to take liters and liters of water so yeah that was a little bit of Poor planning. Mm, <laughs> wow. um, but yeah, we did it and they're very proud of us for making it the whole way. <laughs> I think it's amazing. And it's, it's, you know, we're talking about getting off the bench, you know, and, and the things that you're going to do for the things that you care about are the things that you find important. And, you know, not, not all of us are going to go hiking for 20 days and, you, you know, go through that sort of discomfort. But you know, credit to you, you did. And well, you get out on those boats in the middle of the ocean and I don't know how you do that. You know, I I, I like to say I'm courageous, but I'm like, when it comes to you, I sort of pale into insignificance. But anyway, it's uh, I suppose we've all got to do what we're good at, don't we? And that's... And that's... I think that's it. And you're always so generous by saying that. And I, and I think it's, uh, you know, of course, for all of our crews, and I must acknowledge, you know, I'm really just following in the footsteps of other people. This is not something that I have mm. done just off my own bat. But, um, you know, when you see all those people going down to Antarctica and, and facing um, the kind of clashes down there or, or our crews getting shot at in, mm. in Mexico, I think it does take courage. But it is something that we're all passionate about. It's something that you know, when you join Sea Shepherd, you are asked to to read an information sheet and to sign to agree that this is so important to you that you're willing to to give your life for an animal. Like that's something that we all have considered and agreed to. And so it's just a kind of a progression of something that we're passionate about to that point. Mm. So I, I, I really appreciate, you know, your praise in that way. But there's lots of things that I wouldn't do to that degree mm. in other well, other parts of my life. You know, this is just something that all of our, our crews are, are deeply passionate and motivated um for so you know we we push ourselves into those uncomfortable places because we because we care so much about what we're doing but that mm. doesn't necessarily mean we're courageous in every other way as but, well. but that's the thing isn't it you know people a lot of times people say well when i'm confident enough i'll do it but i always say yeah. courage is way more important than confidence and you know yeah. it's it's sometimes it's 
it's about what matters the most you know you can push yourself through and you can find courage you know if something is really important to you and you're talking about the ultimate sacrifice giving your life you know for an animal I'm not saying you want to but I'm saying that you you know the preparedness uh, to do that is is you know is extreme it really is you know and it's um it does take a lot of courage so and yes I get it that you're not the only one but you know I have the same praise for all the Sea Shepherd um, crews you know but knowing you you know you're sort of my direct link to how the amount of courage that people go through so I know you don't like me continually saying it you know but but I I do feel it no you know it'd be thank you it's not right to not say things when you when you feel them so thank you that's my thoughts for you now um sadly because you put your put your lives on the line you know you are so passionate about that uh, yeah. you you've made made arrangements in your workplace that you can go and spend months over there now this must be an absolute um terrible blow because uh, you know COVID-19 we're, we're, we I'm sort of getting sick of talking about it you know no. but we, yeah. we are in the middle of it it's a struggle um it's affected a lot of places you know way worse than Australia and you know I was even supposed to be in New York you know when when all the a few weeks ago when New York was really hit and nobody expected that. So it's right. it's sort of, it's played a, it's played out in um, very unprecedented ways around the world. And I guess when it started, we saw it as this, uh, you know, a, a sort of a, an epidemic, you know, that was in China. And I guess we overlooked mm-hmm. it because of other past experiences. And then all of a sudden it filtered out and all of a sudden everybody is having to do things in, in very different ways and that really impacted Sea Shepherd and I know this would have broken your heart and a lot of the, well, all of the members of the Sea Shepherd crews. So how did Sea Shepherd have, have to, and not chose to, have to respond to this crisis? Yeah, so, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, it, it has obviously just rocked the world um, and unfortunately there's just nothing that we could do other than the safest thing for our crews, which is to return support um, and most people have left the boats. So we uh, regrettably have had to leave that area in the in the Gulf of California and, and, and other campaigns that we were hoping to be on um, to do the right things for our crews. Um, but of course, that's left uh, the sea there has un, un, unpatrolled by us. So um, the Mexican Navy are still operating in that area, as far as I'm aware, and they're doing their bit. Um, but unfortunately, no, we're not able to be out patrolling and and protecting the oceans in the way that we were. Mm, what a terrible blow! But there's yep. no choice. But it's a, you know, so this it's really really impacting a lot of. It's it's impacting everything, you know, and it's we're just going to have to hope that you know it, it's it's times like these where you will we will notice that Sea Shepherd is not operating. You know, absolutely. It's a, it's a shame because the the um, perpetrators will still be operating, and it's um really, yeah, absolutely, absolutely devastating. I just hope, yeah. I mean, we like we are like we have received um, some images of the poaching that's still happening in that area. Yeah. And I just hope for the vaquita that um you know that the, I mean it, it is evolving the the way that the poachers are working in that area, and they and it's evolving because of Sea Shepherd's uh, presence. And I think that's really good. And the way in which it's evolving is that they historically, like when I used to go a few years ago, they would leave the nets in the water and just come back and check them the next day. Mm. 
but because of the presence of the Navy and Sea Shepherd, they're tending to leave their, their nets in the water and stay with them for less time and then take them out and leave. So mm. in that respect, because we have impacted the way that they are fishing, um, it is actually a little bit more hopeful for the vaquita because those nets, that crisscross pattern under the water is is not kind of static for days and weeks and months on end. Um, so there's a small small ray of hope that the vaquita might, um, you know, get through this season okay and hopefully next year we can go back and, and work to defend her. But uh, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Obviously the impact is um, is going to be there and it's, and it's felt by all the crews. So everyone's pretty sad at the moment to no longer be in that area as we would we would still be there now if it wasn't for covid mm. it's really sad isn't it mm. yeah but everything's affected and we're just going to hope that we get through it and hope that um i hope that when we come out the other side that people have a new appreciation you know for what for for everything you know and i think yeah. i think we're a lot of people are going through a stage now and realizing that we took a lot of stuff for granted you know and that we Literally. we do need to come out the other side with a different you know just different behaviors different views different you know i guess different um appreciation of what we do have around us so fingers absolutely fingers crossed but yeah and you uh you know when when we can travel again you were doing some stuff in indonesia and you've got on your mind now i'm not going to make you promise (laughs) but you get your big girl pants on and promise this but 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 you were hoping to and you i know you will because you know you're passionate about it but sometime in the future you're looking at uh setting up some kind of manta ray project or hoping to that's right yeah yeah so yeah so that was um so actually when we met a few years ago um, doing the, the Hero Roundtable talks, which are fantastic and highly recommend everybody to follow follow that organization as well. Yeah. Um, one of the workshops there was talking about, like you're saying, getting off, getting off the bench and doing something and putting your money where your mouth is and everything else. And I distinctly remember a workshop with Kate Austin telling us that if you're going to do anything, you should just tell people that you're going to do it and then you're accountable and you have to do it. Yep. So... <laughs> That was a huge turning point for me that I was like, oh, I'm going to have to start talking about this um, because I have had in the back of my mind um, some work that I want to do to protect manta rays. So there's a actually a very similar thing happening in Indonesia as to what's happening with the um, the Totowaba trade. So there's manta rays are getting killed in, in huge numbers just for their um, gills. So again, the gills are supposedly have some health properties uh, in Chinese medicine um, and they're being killed illegally, not for their meat or anything else, just just literally for the gills. So last year I traveled to Indonesia and I set up quite a few uh, meetings with various organizations who've been working in that area, which was amazing. I had um, some fascinating insights and lots of support and people who are interested in doing so. I'm not by any means saying that this is an original thought. There are, of course, other organizations like the Manta Trust out there doing something along those lines or trying to to work in those areas. I don't know if you've seen Racing Extinction, but there is a, a huge section around um, what's happening yeah. um, with, with the killing of the manta rays in Indonesia. So, yeah, so last year I went and met with different organizations and kind of put some feelers out. And then this year I wanted to uh, kind of upskill my own knowledge around manta rays. And I was due to go to the Philippines 
to work with an organization called, I don't know if it's Lamave or Lamave, but L-A-M-A-V-E. They are a large marine vertebrates uh, organization. Uh, and I was due to be doing some research around manta behavior, their sort of feeding patterns. They're, they're actually very easy to track mantas because they all have a completely unique uh, design on their body. Mm-hmm. So every single one, it's like a fingerprint. So there's some wonderful work going around um, tracking. So whenever you see a manta, and anyone can do this, citizen science as well. If you are diving with mantas, take a picture of it. If it's easily identifiable, like if you can, if it's a good quality picture and you can see it spots, you can upload them into an app called Manta Tracker, yeah. and we can um, we can track where they are. So we can learn uh, much more about their migratory habits, their reproductive habits, their all all different um, sort of information around mantas that we're still learning. So that was the plan. I was supposed to go to the Philippines, but unfortunately uh, that got canceled because of COVID. So maybe do that next year and then maybe pull together all those resources, people that I know who I've talked to about it, who are interested and, and my own knowledge and maybe try and put together a little piece of work uh, in a few years, but I'm not going to put any time no, don't put on pressure. it because <laughs> it might take me a while to get to that point. <laughs> but the point is what you're, what you're saying is that, and you're, you're proving this, you know, is that when you're passionate about something, just start start planning, you know, just sort of planting the seed. It's, um, you know, and things unfold. Like when you went over there, you had, you had all these meetings with all these people. So when you start to think about something and you plant the seed, you start, it's, it just sort of takes on a life of its own. You know, when you're saying Absolutely. in a few years, it will happen, you know, because, and, yeah. and as we talked about before, things that we do today, we don't realize how big an impact they're going to have, play in the big picture, you know, in the future. So um, I'm really big on that, you know, plant the seed about something that you're interested in and talk about it. Absolutely. And, well, I think that the Hero Roundtable, which is how you and I came to know each other, really was one of those moments. You know, I was like, oh, that's cool. I'm just going to go and talk about Sea Shepherd. But that was the turning point for me for like, right, I really need to go and do something about this this situation that I feel strongly about that upsets me that I care about. And that's, you know, that's flowed into the point that I'm at now. So thank you for that. (laughs) You were one of those points. (laughs) Well, that's that's my pleasure. Actually, we met before that because remember you you came and talked to Girls in Hammond. Yeah, and then Matt stole you, you know, for but that's, (laughs) I actually interviewed Matt. I interviewed Matt last week, actually. So uh, (laughs) he's he's on the episode before you, but yeah, so, and and you talked to um, Kate Austin at, Kate ran a workshop. That was at Hero, but we met at Girls with Hammers. My apologies. That's that's okay. I'm not precious about that. But it was around. It was around the same time, anyway. You know, it It was. was, And it's um, and Kate um interviewing Kate Austin. She'll be on a, a couple of episodes after you, so it's She's a, a great story too. Some amazing people. So and it's it really is just about um you know, uh, just putting your hand up and saying, you know, I'm going to do that. And I'm going to take the first step. And sometimes you can't plan. You can't say, well, I'm, this is the step, then that's the step, then that's the step. And by, by this year, I'm going to do that. Sometimes you just have to have a vision. I always advocate this. You need a vision, a big vision. You know, I want to help the manta rays or whatever. But my first step today is talking to someone about it. And you would be amazed how um, quickly all this unfolds. And it, it really... 
Absolutely. And I think like, yeah, totally taking that advice um, forward. You know, when I when I went to Indonesia, I was like, I don't really know what I'm doing. Mm. And and I remember I remember your speech and, and hearing you talk about some of the things that you've done in the past where you're like, I don't really know exactly where this is going to go, but I'm just going to do it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I turn up in Indonesia with a kind of a vague idea and I, and I, I just hope that things will work out. And actually the the you know i met with one person who linked me with somebody else who yep. introduced me to somebody else and the flow of information and the network that came from just going all right i'm just going to go and see and see what happens and and accepting that you know maybe i i might have gone there and it would have been nothing more than just a nice holiday but being open to following whatever i ended up meeting the most incredible people in pretty um pretty useful situations you know who are really keen to to partner up and do work together so it's it's amazing if you just kind of like yeah take that first step like you say and and just get off the bench and do something and it'll it often flows into all kinds of opportunities oh. that you wouldn't have had if you hadn't have taken that first step. Look, I'm 100% on that. I always say, you know, you, you take your first step and you, you you have a vision. You have to have a vision. You know, this is where I'm heading to and that can change. You know, that yeah. can move and be flexible. But, but you have to be sort of heading in a direction and just take the first step. And I absolutely swear 100% that you put that one paver down and step on it and then the next one will appear. It, Absolutely. And it, it people just need to believe that because yeah. you know, I can I can assure you that's happened to me. Every single project I've done is you just put the next paver down, you put the first one down and the next one appears and you step on it, it. And the next one appears and you step on it. And what an amazing journey. And look at your journey. I mean you know, things when you were going to the beachside when you were a kid, you would never have never. expected that this would unfold for you as your future. You know, you're probably told you had to be a teacher or something like that. That's you it. Know? <laughs> and then then all of this stuff unfolds and you're just making such a massive impact and, and you feel good about it. This is the nice thing too when you're mm. doing good things and when you're doing things that are important to you, you, you feel good. So you're not just benefiting yourself. You're not just benefiting the environment or others. You're benefiting yourself. And who, who would wouldn't want to live a life like that like yeah who wouldn't absolutely. want that yeah definitely no well this well this has been great I'm really glad we've had this chat because um you know I'll I'll, I'll let you go back to your normal job in a minute but uh, <laughs> you know it's it's people need to uh take a look at Sea Shepherd which um what's the website seashepherd.org.au is it that's correct yep seashepherd.org.au and you can link through there to we have actually you know campaigns in Australia and things that the general public can get involved with like beach cleans and stuff like that so there's information there uh, but then it'll also link through to the work that we're doing around the world so yeah, yeah. anyone who wants to have a look into that please please do <laughs> yeah and follow on Instagram and and right. uh, Facebook and all those things but so so if people want to get involved uh, they can they can sign up to do uh, volunteer onshore you know selling That's t-shirts right. and all that kind Absolutely. of stuff and, and also they can do beach cleans and what about if people say well I haven't got the time for that but um, how else can they help there's this yeah there's a whole spectrum of ways um that you can help that don't involve having to actually get on a boat or or get off a couch yeah, um, you're good. But, you know obviously we, we are a um voluntary organization and we rely a lot rely a lot on donations so we have like a monthly giving program if everybody 
wants to to donate to us to help us budget for our campaigns or even just a one-off gift um you can buy all of the merchandise online but you can also find through our social media channels where we're going to be we do especially in the summer we do all kinds of festivals and gigs and markets and you can come down and buy our merchandise and 100 percent of the profit from our merch will go directly towards our campaigns but even if you just follow our pages and share, I think that's one of the biggest things is sharing the information that yeah. we're sharing so that we're not all stuck in our little bubbles of information. You know, I think it's trying to push our, our knowledge out into areas that might, maybe people have never heard of Sea Shepherd before. So even if you just follow us on Instagram and share a couple of our posts of what we've been up to, then other people might hear about us and they, they might come on board. Um, mm. But yeah, if you are feeling more active, we absolutely, you can follow our marine debris page um, and they will post about, we do beach cleanups, we do dive cleanups and the general public are always welcome to join us with that. Or you can sign up and become an onshore volunteer and you can do some of the fundraising with us as well. Or you can sign up and become an offshore volunteer and jump on a ship and come and help us um, on the ocean. So there's a whole a whole spectrum there. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. And I hope I hope people take up all of those options, you know, yeah, because it's... And I tell you something, guys. The Sea Shepherd T-shirts. Just I'm just doing a plug here because I I have got several of these um Sea Shepherd T-shirts, and they are the best. They they fit beautifully. They feel beautiful. And I'm not just saying this because I've got Kate on the line. Because I swear, every time I want to feel strong and feel powerful and look great. And this is I'm, I swear I'm telling the truth. I put on a Sea Shepherd T-shirt because it they. There's some there's some magic in them. They really make oh. you feel powerful and strong. But also, you know, in our, in our house, we've got hoodies and all sorts of stuff. And yeah, it's just um, you, you, they're just the best quality clothes, and they're just so good. So if you if you that's the only way you can donate, buy somebody or yourself, you know, a t-shirt. But the, the ships don't run themselves. Um, the the whales can't save themselves. Somebody has to be out there doing something to uh, stop the extinction and to stop the cruelty anyway, even if you don't, even if you're not so concerned about ex- extinction, just the cruelty. No, Nobody should be feeling okay about brutality towards a- animals or any, any, you know, living beings. So, That's right. Um, so, you know, follow the minimum you can do is please go and follow them on Facebook and Instagram and just just go check out the website, seashepherd.org.au. And I, I tell you, just after listening to Kate Shirley, um, you can feel the passion in why it's so important to take care of our oceans, even if you're not a beach person. You know, I'm not an ocean person. I'm shit scared of the ocean. <laughs> and I tell you, know, I really am. And that's probably why I feel uh, yeah. so strongly about your courage. You know, I'm I'm terrified of the bloody ocean. <laughs> so I do my land work. Um, but, well, that's but, it. We're all, we're all, we can all be custodians in different areas. You know, there's lots of things that are happening on land that I would be terrified to do as well. So, yeah, yeah we all got to pull together and, and do what we can. Absolutely. Definitely. We yeah. do. Well, Kate, yeah. thank you so much for joining us. This has been absolutely brilliant. I'm just um, so bloody happy that, you know, talking to you and so happy that you've got to share your message. And I just love, love what, you, what you're all about and what you stand for. So it's Well, critical. thank you to you as well for the platform and for taking the time to help us share our message. We, you know, it's, it's uh, incredibly humbling having met yourself and everything that you're doing. So thank you for having me on your podcast. Oh, well, thank you for uh, everything you do. And, and th- you know, just, uh, you know, the day I met you, I just, uh, you just gave me a little bit more spark. So um, I'm so, so thrilled with that. So, 
But thank you very much and I'll let you get back to your other job or whatever you're doing today because, you know, we all have lives to live and not just chat on podcasts. But uh, <laughs> but but thank you so much and um, no, we'll chat, chat you. with you very soon. All right. Thanks, Karen. Thanks heaps. Bye. Wow. How was that? Oh, my God. Now, guys, seriously, if you're just if you've got something you want to get off the bench and you want to just do please just go do it. It doesn't have to be something like getting out on a ship and defending the oceans and getting shot at and God knows what. If there's something you want to do, please do it because it brings you to life. It it just changes everything. And if it can change everything for not only you, but for somebody else, why wouldn't we do it? Don't let that thing that's inside you die off. Please don't let it. Get up and do something and just listen to people like Kate, like these inspiring stories are everywhere. So really hoping that this is bringing some some inspiration and some joy and some wow factor to you. And um, anyway, that's enough of me rambling, but uh, hope you enjoyed it and I'll catch up with you next week for another exciting episode. Thanks. See you later. Hey, thanks for joining me. It really does mean the world to me. Now, if you or somebody you know is doing amazing things, make sure you send me an email to info at getoffthebench.com.au. That's info at getoffthebench.com.au. Otherwise, head on over to my website at kerenvaughan.com and tinker around there a bit and send me a message. Okay, catch you next week.